Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sand Job, the podcast that reads and reviews every issue of Neil Gaiman and artistic team's fantasy graphic novel serialized comic series, The Sandman. I'm your host, Iris J, and I'm real happy to be here tonight. Uh, with me are my two co-hosts, uh, Nero and Jesse. Why don't you introduce yourselves? It's me. I'm Nero. I was here in the previous two episodes, and I'm here for the third one. Will I be here for the fourth one? Only time will tell. Oh, oh mysteries upon mysteries. <laughs> 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 I am Jesse. I was also here for the previous two, and I plan on being here for the fourth one, but I might end up getting kidnapped by a um, personification of a feeling. So you never know. Damn, hate when that happens. Mm-hmm. Happened to my buddy Eric once. Real tragic. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it sucks. It sucks, you know? Yeah. We're going to be talking today about uh, the first four issues of the Doll's House uh, arc. First published in 1989, uh, starting in Sandman issue number nine and going to... We're going to be covering issues nine, ten, eleven, and twelve today. Four issues an episode. That's kind of our... MO here on the show, except in extenuating circumstances. Yeah, we're kicking into like the first real non-introductory arc of Sans Mans. Really exciting shit. What did y'all what did y'all think? What are y'all what do it takes before we get into before we get into the stories themselves, issue by issue? When I when I opened the volume, I was frowning, and then I was <laughs> smiling. And then I was frowning again. And then by the end, I was smiling again. So that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's. I can generally uh, <laughs> agree with that. This is the weird one because it's like um, everyone seems to love this one. I think it's just because it's the one that a lot of people like uh, read because it's so near the beginning. Mm. And I, I like the Dollhouse story, but I it's not my personal favorite of, of the Sandman's. Um, but mm. I, I do enjoy it and I see why people like it. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it definitely kind of hit its stride as like this is the Sandman stuff. So I can see why people are like, yes, this is the really good stuff. Oh, I also think it's definitely got its own. It's starting to get its own vibe. Not Mm. that the Sandman ones before this didn't have a vibe, but they were also still like kind of hedging into like the, uh, the like, Hey, here's some DC stuff. And this has significantly less of that, especially in that first issue where it's like just completely different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it actually kind of lampoons some DC stuff later on in a issue we're going to be covering mm-hmm. on this episode. So, Gas. Mm, I know nothing of the DCs, so I rely on you too. <laughs> <laughs> I know more of the DCs than I'd probably like to admit or feel proud about, but you know, it's there. The knowledge <laughs> is there. Uh, I, I, a lot of the stuff I know about DC, I initially got to know because I red sandman and then people were like oh that's like from a thing and i'm like oh uh. so <laughs> oh see i just got super in dc on its own that that was that was just me i was like i know about the superheroes i know about the batmans and the supermans and the uh the what other ones harley quinns plastic man Pla- of course plastic How who could forget, forget plastic, plastic man Bo- who- booster booster gold yeah the elongated man who could forget the elongated oh. man classic amazing he doesn't show up in this book uh, i know the animal man is that is that dc or is that marvel that's What's dc animal man animal yeah. man animal man is dc animal man. 
Animal Man is legit great. Animal yeah. Man is wonderful. Okay. Animal Man okay. whips. But yeah, let's just dive right into it with uh, issue number Ooh. nine, Tales in the Sand. Iris of the Future, please put that sort of swooshy orchestral music here. <laughs> no, I can do it right now. You don't need that editing stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tales in the Sand is an orally related African folktale style narrative about uh, Morph Sandman falling in love with the queen of the first ever city and uh, the horrible things he did to her when she found him and then had sex with him and then broke up with him. It's basically a breakup story. And it has nothing to do with the action that's happening in in this major arc. It's really just kind of like a weird coda between the last uh, arc and this one. Though it does tie into... Yeah, it does uh, tie into briefly. A Hope in Hell, like, a little bit, and it ties in majorly to Season of Mists later. But here it's just kind of floating, unmoored from anything else. What did y'all think of Tales in the Sand? <sighs> <laughs> that's that's kind of how I feel about it. So, like, I am not black, but I am indigenous. And when I see these kinds of stories, I do I do a big sigh. Uh, Neil Gaiman has gone on record as saying he did not do any research and was just like, yeah, I did a pastiche of African folklore, which is like saying cool. you're doing a pastiche of South American folklore. There's like 50 countries in Africa, my guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, Africa's a bit of a it continent. Reminds, <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, like, Chakotay from Star Trek Voyager, the character who's, like, uh, an amalgamation, supposed to be an amalgamation of a bunch of indigenous characters, and then you get him, like, going, like, I'm going to do a really wonderful indigenous uh, ceremony. Yeah. We're going to say a Kuchimoya a bunch. It's great. Yeah. It didn't, wasn't there the episode where they said that Native Americans are actually from space? Oh yeah, no, yeah, that the, 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 all the Native American gods were like from like space or whatever. Voyager yeah. is an audacious television program. <laughs> they accidentally oh, did a Scientology. They did, and, and it's even worse too that the person that they hired to be their like indigenous uh, uh, like sensitivity reader mm. and consultant was a fraud and wasn't actually indigenous. Oh my God. Which which would be to to be fair, which, which would be not necessarily okay, but like understandable that they missed it except for like he had already been exposed as a fraud several years before <laughs> nice like the <laughs> so uh, wonderful the uh uh quote-unquote indian tear guy who's actually italian uh <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that that's definitely feels like that vibe here yeah uh past that uh though it's i guess they're trying to push the it's meant to kind of communicate, I guess, the idea that Mr. Sandman's is, like, a globally known guy. I will say the art for him uh, in this is better than uh, the first time we saw his uh, form. Yeah, Mike Dringerberg and Malcolm Jones do know how to draw African people. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike maybe Sam Keith. Um, so that's good. I thought that the colors in this issue were really nice. I'll say that as a compliment. Um, there's mm. a lot of, like, uh, very moody, sort of uh, heavy spot blacks and a lot of, like, cool purples and blues and stuff for the actual um, 
panels of the uh, two tribespeople telling the story versus the verdant lush greens and the bright yellows of the uh, mm-hmm. the actual story being told. Uh, I think that that really limited color palette of the um, of the actual narration does a nice job of separating that from the actual story, as well as the panel structure of all the of nearly all the pages in this issue where like the top four panels of every page are the narrative being discussed. And then the bottom panel is like a wide one going across the whole page. That is the village elder telling the story up until the climax where that actually reverses. Uh, I thought that was a neat, um, formalist trick with comics. Uh, I wish I the story actually, itself uh, had been better, but the colors are nice, and I think the paneling, they did a neat thing there. I hadn't actually noticed that layout bit until you mentioned it. That's actually really clever. Yeah, it's cool. It kind of makes it feel like it's being upheld like structurally by the story at the bottom. Yeah, it keeps nice. it keeps it anchored in the idea of, oh, this is this guy telling this story, mm-hmm. which is neat. I... I really like a lot of the uh, the ink work in this, too. There's a lot of, like, like all throughout this entire arc, you'll notice Malcolm Jones kind of switches a lot between using, uh, like, nib inks to ink stuff and also brush inks. And at times he goes for almost, like, kind of a photo image, like a Xerox of a photo imitating style. I think I talked about yeah. this in uh, book one, but it's hmm. kind of refined here. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did I did love the Bird King. The Bird King the bird is King probably is I'm probably going to be making the Bird King our Twitter avatar for this episode. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's great. Beautiful. Just a, I love it's like it's it's just a just a big bird with a little king hat on. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I agree with all all of that. Like it's just it's so interesting cuz th- there's elements of this story that I like in terms of like it's its purpose in sort of characterizing uh, Mr. Mr. Sandman mm. um, as like uh, he's a real you know, jerk. Sort of like, yeah, it like makes him makes him a jerk. It makes him like a complete asshole that like is very self centered and sort of only focused on what he can get from people from like the uh, the queen here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that as like his characterization, and then it also sort of like. The intention I get is that it's supposed to like showcase that he's very ancient, been here for a very long time, and it's sort of like a figure that fits into tales of different cultures in different ways. The the ethicality of that in terms of using it this way is is uh, something we should discuss. But but the idea I think is is uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It'd just be like you know you could just not you could just not two wolves it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very two wolves. It's very like like they had to put a uh, they had to put a pastiche in there of like why a bird is a certain way, even though that really isn't relevant to the story because that's how African folk tales go. And they this is like the first issue where we get instances of genital mutilation, and there's two of them. Yeah. Which mm, is wild. Interesting that. <laughs> it's also so. This is something that I, I just I've been thinking about a lot lately. Mm, mm. Uh, in in terms of like media that I consume, 
instance, this is being written by a, a white British dude. I feel like this kind of fits in, in this. I'm watching House of the Dragon on, on HBO recently, and, you know, I've had a lot of criticisms of it, and a lot of it's come from, like, the fact that it's, like, a, a lot of, like, straight white dudes writing the show, mm. and then how they write, like, LGBTQ characters, for example, and they're sort of like, well, I'm in my own storytelling world. I'm sorry we did a bury your gaze storyline, but I wasn't really paying attention to that. That's, like, an internet <laughs> thing, you know? I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on telling my own story, and, like, you just have gay characters just being defined by gay and then dying that same episode. It's like, great. I, Fucking I love this. sick. Yeah. And, and it's just, and it's, but it's a story about on that show about the patriarchy and about like authoritarianism. And yet they still fall into these tropes that sort of marginalize people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and, and there's a lot of like women, like, Oh, women are in the bedroom a lot. And they like, they're like used as objects for sex. And, and I'm just sort of watching it, and it's like there's there's a point here being made, but I'm also very tired of fantasy that continually reinforces like women is like this like object to be used in defining women by like their vir- like their virginality, yeah, and things like mm-hmm. that. It's like it's fantasy. You can do more than that. Like you can do something like Octavia Butler, N.K. Jemsen, or. Um, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin had written fantasy. Yeah, and I bring all that. Up, I bring all that up here um, because that sort of comes in, in here, where like she mutilates her own gen. The queen mutilates her own genitals, saying like, "Look, I took my maidenhead. You don't. You're not going to want me anymore." And I guess progressive morb is like, "Look, I don't care about your body. What does it matter?" But it's still like <laughs> this more moment of like just like women's- <laughs> Yeah, just like defining their bodies by by like maiden heads and and it's just like and then like a white author sort of ascribing that to like just a like a pastiche african nation when yeah. you can sort of imagine something more than that it's just yeah it's so weird especially since literally like pages before she's like a queen and she's like what was it she tells her her one advisor or her like the people around her who are like you should get a husband and she's like do you see a guy that's worthy of me and it's like this is a real a bit of a, a turn, like, character-wise. I feel like a character who says that kind of thing would not be like, ha I punched myself in the vagina with a rock. I am no longer a virgin, and you will not want me. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm deflowered, so therefore I'm worthless yeah, to a like, man. Wh- that's so and it's weird. like, And it's like... That doesn't fit with the culture that you set up where it was like, I am a queen, and I get to pick my, my husband. If, like, that's, like, the society that you set up, that doesn't yeah. feel like one that would like only value her for her virginity it it just seems like for somebody who is the queen of the only city on earth i feel like there should be a little bit more deference made to her both from the teller of the story and also from morph sandman himself i get that he's in his i don't give a shit about people mode i get that he's an asshole mode but at least there should be the barest recognition of like, oh, yeah, well, this lady has some sort of power going on here. She she has some sort of agency, you know? It's not, yeah. it's, the whole thing is framed as like, I don't know, it's icky. Ugh. Like, it's, yeah. like, are you trying to communicate that old, old Morph is like so powerful that even the queen would act like this because like it doesn't come off like that at all and there's she doesn't she doesn't say like a word to him until she gets to the realm of the dreaming it's yeah it's really weird uh also this is a this is a minor peccadillo imo but um 
it's on top of everything else. Uh, they really, you know, they really went with like, well, where, what part of Africa is this taking place in? Uh, a- Africa. Africa um, you know. <laughs> it's very weird that the f- the the first city of glass, uh, all of the architecture in it is uh, like kind of like European Gothic, and so mm, is yeah. the Sandman's throne room. I get that it's kind of a the throne room's kind of a vague callback to Sam Keith's art, but still kind of weird, uh, especially considering that like Africans figured out multi-story housing before anyone else on Earth and had different distinct architectural styles depending on the civilizations that created them. But like, I don't, it's just, it, it really reminded me of that one, the one comic of uh, Sam and Max where they're like, ah, finally, here we are in the Philippines drawn from uh, photo reference, no doubt. And it's like the most buck fucking wild, like buildings in the background that are obviously a cartoon. Like there's like a yeah. big eyeball hovering and shit <laughs> stuff on fire. Yeah. And it even is weird in in the comic itself because it's like he uh, more of appears as a black man, and yet he's sort of like sitting on this like gothic throne sort of thing. And it's like you, you would think that they would draw upon like even yeah. if it was just sort of like a pan African sort of like art style. Yeah, like I think uh, they tried that, to kind of imply that it's like Morocco based, like Moroccan style architecture based on like the the like curved entryways and stuff. But then it's like. If if it's that, then why do they have like a hinged window? Like it's uh, it's very it's very strange. I, I don't know. I realize this exist. is a very minor thing, but it it wouldn't bother me so much if I hadn't also noticed it when I was a teenager, and if I hadn't also <laughs> noticed that it like it happens in other shit too. And it's just like, can we like can we like not? I don't know. I'm I am so also. Right there. I'm also, like, very white, for the record. I'm, like, fucking Polish as shit. So, like, don't... Again, I'm not absolute expert on this, but it's, like, we could we could give these people at least a, a, at least some kind of respect and background if we're going to be like, yes, and here's a new myth that you probably haven't heard before, dear reader. Um, and it's also weird, too, I'm looking at this, we also get a little cameo appearance by Cain and Abel. Yeah, too, which yeah. I, I get is like a reference to their appearance in like already throughout the the series. So it's less of a like Christian reference as than it is like a DC comic slash prior like setup uh, continuity mm-hmm. reference. But it is also still weird to like have a Christian mythology reference within this story. <laughs> it is kind of implying that the Bible is actually right, and like this yeah. is not the first time by a country mile in the Sandman that. It will be implied that the Bible is actually right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's what's that meme that I just saw recently going around where it was like the recent Thor movie, Thor: Love and Thunder, like implies that like all religions are real except for Christian mythology because they uh, Thor like goes to like the meeting of all the gods and like the only one that's not there is Jesus, which like really <laughs> which really speaks to our actual cultures like our Western culture sort of like oh Christian you can't you can't touch Christianity you can't ever show that as not being possibly real but I also just <laughs> like the reading of it it's just like yeah no all these other religions are right and uh, Christianity is just a made up humbo jumbo Jesus was <laughs> sleeping okay he's tired <laughs> it was Saturday and they added him when he was chilling how dare they. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I guess the last thing I would say is just it is interesting um, since, you know, I've been doing the like comparison to the TV show uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing that uh, this story they they adapted all of Dollhouse, uh, but that the rest of the comic that we're going to be reading in this issue, but they did not adapt this story, though they do have a reference to Nada in the show as we see her in, in yeah. Hell. Um, so I'm curious if, if you know, this show does get a season two, if they will address this story, and if so, how? Because I think that would be very telling for me to see, like, how Gaiman, because he's heavily involved in the show and updating mm-hmm. it, sort of views uh, his... Hit this story from a modern context if he understands yeah, the problems with it or not. I mean the um the the thing that I found that was him talking about it being a pastiche was I believe from 2015, mm-hmm. which is not that long ago. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I get I get why he would keep Nada in because if you remove her, then that kind of kicks the leg out from yeah. the start of season of mists. But uh, one could only hope. That at least some sort of sensitivity reading will go into whenever they do cover Tales in the Sand for the television program. If indeed that will happen, because it's you're never quite sure of it with Netflix series. They might just make it a yeah, one Netflix and done kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Netflix has been kind of wonky lately, just canceling things left and right. Yeah, they're mm. bleeding money right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now but, their, their business model has literally always been let's just bleed money for fun and see what happens true true yeah they just get a bunch of money and just like let's spend it on everything they yeah, did yeah. they did a multi-episode prequel series to the dark crystal that does not end immediately before the events of the dark crystal that's <laughs> fucking audacious God, it's great, but that. like, why would you do that? That was another fantastic show that got canceled. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, I was God. hyped for a season two. Anyways, instead of talking about this subpar issue, let's talk about the next one, The Doll's House. Part yeah, do we one. have anything extra to say, or we just wanna we just wanna hop along? I'm good with hopping along. I'm I'm good with it. Yeah. Uh, All right. So in The Doll's House, we are introduced to Desire, the uh, somewhat mischievous younger sibling of dream meanwhile uh in the waking world rose walker finally gets to meet uh her long lost grandmother unity kincaid from the first book who explains to her that she has a very crucial legacy that she wishes to impart upon rose at the same time dream and lucian are busy looking for the last few major uh dreams who are still mia from the dreaming uh it seems that there's a vortex that has somehow appeared out of nowhere, and it's threatening to disrupt the fabric of the entire realm. A vortex that just happens to be named Rose. Lay gasp. Lay gasp. Uh, I forgot to write little summaries for each of these chapters, so I'm kind of doing a little off the cuff, but uh, I've read these stories enough that I think I have them pretty good. I'll have some properly written up for next next issue, next episode. No, that was, but, that was pretty good. Yeah, um, I'd like to. I'd like to start by apologizing for something I said. I think in the last episode, uh, I said that Desire did nothing wrong. Desire's uh, done several things wrong. Upon reviewing the text of this book, <laughs> it's come to my attention that Desire may have done at least a few things that could be viewed as not correct to do. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. Especially towards the end of this maybe, story. Maybe somewhat culpable. We'll talk about that more uh, when we get to our next episode. Uh, <laughs> that being said, though, you cannot deny Desire serves some fucking looks. Oh, yeah. Their whole realm is the sickest shit. The exterior, the interior, their whole, like, fashion decisions, the sickest shit. I love that there's a weird connection to Neil Gaiman's previous biography of the band Duran Duran because Desire is basically a Patrick Nagel drawing that yeah. whips. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, we... We have no choice but to stand this problematic fave. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. <laughs> no, it, no it, very true. I also love, um, like, in the comic, uh, Desire is described as, like, both a boy and a girl, uh, whereas in the TV show, they're non-binary, which is, like, I see how that update happens, where it's just like, oh, we'll just make Desire non-binary as a character. Mm. But I actually kind of weirdly prefer... I, I, like I get that that is a representation, and but I I kind of weirdly prefer like the more gender fluid uh, yeah. version of yeah, Sandman because yeah, yeah. like a different the, the shots like show us different angles of Sandman and like like they they just appear more feminine or masculine based on the angle and I really kind of like love that subtlety I think it's a little bit I think it's a little bit more interesting and kind of fits the the sort of ethereal nature of desire more than just like, Oh, the character's non-binary. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. Not, them, not to say that non-binary can't be a brilliant pastiche and, and wonderful, like rainbow of like identities and things like that. I just think that like the, like this, the changing based on literally just the angle that we're looking at desire at, I think is, is an interesting way to go about it. Yeah. yeah it's interesting more. because desire is more fluid in their, and I'm using they, them pronouns for them, but uh, in their appearance, then Dream regularly is, which, you know, Dream is supposed to look different to everybody, but Desire basically kind of seems to shift however the mood strikes themselves. Personally, I get why they chose to make them non-binary for the television show, because for that sure, yeah. computes easier based on our modern, uh, broadly, I won't say accepted, but broadly understood gender politic uh that mm. being that being said i do like the idea of them being just totally gender fucked and ready to go whichever way a little bit better like calling somebody yeah. your sister brother that's that's something i don't expect the squares to get but that's fucking mm -hmm. cool <laughs> <laughs> I know it's one of the, it's 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 a difficult thing because uh, and just to be clear in case there's anyone listening that will be like uh, point, that will point this out totally as someone who is also sort of identifying myself on the non-binary spectrum like non-binary can be both its own identity and also a broad spectrum of things that possibly like gender fluid or gender fucked or whatever you want to call desire could also fit under as like a non-binary term but the sort of distinction that we would make is in the show is just sort of shown as like more. Um, non-binary is sort of like this idea of its own sort of third uh, sort of a gender uh, presentation in the show versus this, which is a much more fluid presentation. So mm -hmm. just want to make that clear to any listeners who, who might think that we're, we're trying to erase certain identities, which yeah. is not our intention at all. Unlike the last issue, uh, I, you know, both Jesse and I are non-binary, so we can actually speak on this with some level of authority. Huzzah! <laughs> oh, Non-biny? Non That's so cool. No binies! That's so cool! <laughs> I have no binies to give No binies. Mm -hmm. 
No Bynese left beef. But yeah, in the opening of this, we see the inside of Desire's threshold, which is Desire lives in the heart, which is really cute until you realize that like, no, it's like a big fleshy, meaty organ with like a bitchin' sound system and shit that they have in there. And it's, it's like gross and cool. There's this building in Seattle, the Seattle Public Library, that has uh, a floor for like conference rooms where all of the walls and ceiling and floor are kind of done in this sort of like undulating, organic sort of uh, shape. And they're all surfaced in this like glossy red with very dim lighting. And it always makes me think of Desire's Threshold every time I visit it. Oh, um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We also get introduced to the idea of how the Endless communicate with each other, which are through... Uh, sigils that they keep in their houses each one kind of represents a different other member of the family with a notable gap where the uh a missing sigil is implied to be um and we get to see desire talk to despair another first time appearance of an another endless uh who is desire's twin sister and uh, whose design I do not care for as much, if I'm being perfectly no, honest. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy that one bit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like oh, of course, despair is like a fat girl who's sad. All right, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm. yep. desire can be anything they want. Despair is absolutely female, and she's absolutely a fat chick. What the hell is that? what's up neil what's that about and doing a lot of self-harm too yeah Uh, yeah the the self-harm is like on theme i guess but like that's not really i don't it's weird but i don't even i would i mean i not to get too deep into this but uh because i guess we'll like small trigger warning here but like i don't know i feel like you can do more with the concept of despair than like uh, than like self harm because like yes self harm can be part of uh, despair but the way that it's depicted here and then also I'm sort of putting in my my like re- like how despair is placed in later issues in the oh, series yeah. mm-hmm. um like I think in brief lives or whatever um just seems to like it's almost like sadomasochistic which is not despair at all you know yeah. <laughs> in terms of the self-harm despair, <laughs> despair seems different. kind of uh kind of like underbaked in the sandman series yeah. like that like neil couldn't really figure out what to do with her and uh that's a shame because like the concept seem the concept of somebody who kind of embodies the the who is kind of an avatar of hopelessness it feels like you could do a lot with that, but um, really doesn't show up in the story very much. Not to spoil things later, but she really doesn't show up in the story very much. When we see her realm, it's kind of underbaked. Her whole concept is the only interesting thing about her is that she isn't the first person to be despair. Like there was one before her, uh, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Like really, it's uh, I don't know. It just. It feels like there's not much there, and what's there is ob- objectionable. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Huh. The only the only other thing that I would say is interesting about Despair is not really about her at all, but the fact that like she and Desire conspire together. Because like conceptually, I think that's a cool idea that like the idea of Despair and the idea of Desire 
work together to yeah, stop yeah. dream like just just as like a dynamic conceptually that's really interesting Mm-hmm. They could have. They could have done more. Essentially, I want to see a family road trip. Come on. I mean, we're gonna <laughs> see one later, but I want to see like the B cast family road trip. How fuck would that be? <laughs> it would be great. I speaking of it. speaking of road trips, I do love the immediate smash cut. Not even coloring the caption boxes in a different color to indicate a different person is talking. The smash cut to um, The Waking World, where we get to meet our main character of the arc, Rose Walker, and her mom, as they journey to jolly old England town. Oh, um, hey, what? The, the caption boxes are a different color in my, they in are? my copy. Yeah, they're like, a, they're like a light yellow for despair, and then the, the page after, the ones for uh, Rose are white. That might be a reprint thing. Yeah, I'm looking Maybe. at the... Uh, I'm looking at these uh, this digital yeah, version from nineteen. That's like a scan for the 1989 issue, and it's it's they're looking pretty the same. I don't know. It might be like a like a measure of like inches or something, but maybe maybe I don't know. I always thought that if they meant to do that, that was cool, and if they didn't mean to do that, oh, okay. <laughs> Rose Walker and her mom going to England. Wow, we get some weird panel <laughs> shit going on here. Um, yes. I really, really love this weird panel shit, to be clear. It's so good. Um, basically, it's kind of like, as, Ro- as Rose is falling asleep in the back of a car, we notice, uh, she as she kind of, like, enters sort of a first-person excursion through the dream realm, the panels literally, like, twist around to the side, so you're reading the book vertically. Uh, yes. It's very, it's a great way to show like, oh yeah, we're dreaming right now. And also, it's a great way to play with some unusual panel layouts. Like, mm-hmm. there's one that's just like, Lucian kind of walking through different weird realms of the dreaming. And uh, we get to see just these, literally just little tiny vertical slices of sort of surrealist landscapes, which are really cool. I love that shit. I also love the next page where you get like inside Dreams uh, Castle, or whatever, and it's just sort of like a, uh, like you get this sort of uh, stained glass window, but it's like not attached to anything. It's just attached to like a sky. It's yes. really yeah. Cool. We get the rare. Uh, it's like a one and two thirds technically page spread. It's a it's a vertical page spread, but it's going across two. 90 degree turn clockwise horizontal pages. And I just want to credit Dringe and Jones for uh, not having any crucial visual information at the middle of the spread because that's where the spine would be. So it all reads perfectly, even if it's in a printed book where it's uh, it bends in the middle. That's some yeah. smart thinking with a double page spread right there, boys. Well it's probably done. Why the, it's probably why the statues are there, because then you have the legs, and even if something gets caught in the middle, like, it's mm-hmm. it's good. It, it looks great. That's some big brain shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I love that, like, I love that Dream is in full, like, like weird little goblin twink mode in this. <laughs> like, he is. He is just, he's, he's like a little, he's like a weird little elf and he's just kicking it. Yep. 
He's just chilling. We get to see little previews of all the weird, fucked up little guys we're going to meet throughout this whole arc. Yeah, we get a first look at the Corinthian and Bruton Glob, who... um, Well, I'll talk more about it in a little bit because I have some thoughts on the differences between the show and the the comic version of Ooh. that story. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen the show yet, so I'm interested. Oh. In that. oh yeah, we okay. yeah, we stopped after the I mean, um, the one yeah. the one um, the one episode with the guy and the time travel. Oh, thing. they they complete they completely change uh, those oh, characters. They don't wow. exist in the show. Oh, that we'll because uh, Brute and Glob are uh, DC characters. They're from. Oh, um, that makes sense. Yeah, they're from a reboot of the Sandman that happened in the seventies, which I believe is implied to be taking place inside of Jeb's head, or Jed's oh. head. Not Jeb. Jesus Christ, that's that's Jed. the Florida guy Jed, from the Jed's meme. Head. <laughs> We're going to hop into this kid's dream and we're going to make him win an election. All 50 states in America. Jeb. Um, oh but yeah. And we get to see Fiddler's Green, who I have a lot of thoughts on, uh, which we'll get to probably next episode. But um, mm-hmm. this is also the only time we get to see the Corinthians' eyes, his freaky little teeth eyes, until much later. Which I think was a great part of restraint on... Uh, th- that of the team here. I do love his like he's got like curly like old tiny hair. Yeah, yeah he's just well because oh, he here I think it's supposed to like show like oh he's a, he was this is like when he appeared in the eighteen hundreds sort of. Yeah, thing. yeah. He's very uh full evil Oscar Wilde mode here, which <laughs> kind of grows into his whole evil gay guy vibe in general later on in yeah, this arc. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or later on this issue actually too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we also get to learn shortly after that, after Rose wakes up, that uh, Unity Kincaid from book one from Preludes and Nocturnes, that one girl with the sleepy sickness, she's awake again, and she found her relatives because she had a baby while she was asleep. Um, and Rose Walker is the baby of that baby who is now an adult and <laughs> a relatable normal person protagonist through which the audience may view this wild world. She's even got wacky hair. Yeah. She's got the, she got the old timey, uh, uh, granny from Sylvester and Tweety hair. <laughs> I meant Rose, but that too. Oh, Rose. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's kind of got a, a little bit of a Cindy Lauper thing going on here. It's good. I like it. It's a good look. Mm-hmm. We also get another appearance from the, uh, it's- the Hecate who, uh, are looking less significantly less cartoony than uh, they did when <laughs> Sam Keith drew them. I I really like Sam Keith's adaptation of them. This is this feels a little bit more like uh, just there's just three people. It's like or it's two two people and then a cartoon witch from a spirit Halloween who are hanging out in a broom closet. <laughs> yeah. Get it? A broom closet? Because the witches? Uh, uh, oh, I never... Oh, shit! That's wow. good. Yeah. I also do like that in this broom closet, there's no ceiling. It's like a clock. It's a clock, yeah. Them. There's a lot more collage elements in this, which is really fun. Uh, most of the pages mm. have panel borders that are this kind of like photocopied marbled paper look that kind of give it a smeary vague old-timiness, which is really cool. 
I will say, also, knowing the time that this was printed, I can imagine being the guy at the printer who's getting these pages and being like, oh, you did full bleed on all of them, huh? Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, that was the thing about, Uh... like, they could do better printing in the 80s. So it was like, well, we can finally do really fucked up comic shit now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Yeah. baby. It's just, I'm just imagining that phone combo and just, like, just giving, giving a little chuckle to myself. Mm-hmm. Also, I do love. Okay, I do love Dream's little smiling face in the when they zoom in uh, in the dollhouse while they're all like talking and they just like look at the dollhouse and he's there in the window and he's 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 got a little smile. Oh yeah, then you turn the page and you get a real close up on him, but only like about a third of his face, so you can tell yeah. that like he's up to something, but you can't tell what yet. That's that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah, big big yeah. fan. Looks like we get a shot of what the Corinthian is up to, which, uh, nothing he's, good. Uh, yeah, he's doing some murdering of gay men. That's, uh, sure cool. is. <laughs> I will say. Yay, I, uh, this is the edgy comic for adults. <laughs> you got gay I, people and murder. Yeah. Damn, gay people can get murdered too. Equal rights. Oh, believe me, we know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're, we're aware. Uh, we're very aware. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. I, I do love that's been like half my discourse comments like right recently because of the again house of the dragon i'm like i'm tired of them burying your gaze and like the comments are like so you're saying gay people should never be killed ever and i'm like <laughs> do you mean in real know. life or in fiction buddy <laughs> i think gay people should be immortal in real gay life are immortal <laughs> now. In both, in both yeah exactly in both <laughs> fiction and real life yes we should be immortal <laughs> i will say i did like the the uh coloring change of having like the corinthian sight change from the blue to like regular colors like a warmer tone once he takes his his glasses off i thought that was a good touch uh yeah. despite the murder the murder it's of a, a really, twink it's a really sharp way to show sharp haha uh it's a really <laughs> sharp way to show that not only is this like a first person thing but you're literally looking out through his eyes it's such a cool mm. subtle touch um mm-hmm. not cool what's happening but uh, <laughs> yeah. i was saying you got to respect the craft but then it was like we do not in fact have to hand it to the corinthian <laughs> yeah 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 uh anyways um, one of the one of the thing too since i've been since mm-hmm. i have been the uh person that's comparing to the show mm-hmm. uh the show number one makes the the uh gay subtext very much textual so there's that sort of like problematic aspect of it of it's like oh look we got a gay murderer which is feels kind of like tropey like he tricks young men into his room to murder them is, oh, it, is fe- it very... feels very textual in this to me anyway it, it, it is it's just a le- it's slightly less so in, in terms of the corinthians desire in that like in the show the corinthian is very clearly like uh into into the queerness of it as well whereas here it's just sort of like he just happened he happens to be killing a bunch of gay men yeah Hmm. yeah no i i see what you mean um and then um the other thing too that is worth pointing out which like could could have its i understand why they did it but also Mm -hmm. does have weird implications given where this story goes uh is the show does make rose walker black which i think is good because it it gives you more um diversity which in the show um which i think is just a nice choice however given what you learn about unity kincaid uh, later on Hmm. does have a bit of weird implication yeah wow huh 
But it's also one of those like, but you at least yeah, this is yeah. this is a thing I call the Riverdale problem, which I don't know how mm. familiar you are with Riverdale. Um, Not really. Yeah. Okay, I, mean, I know so, of it. So Riverdale does this thing where they did they did kind of a similar thing where they updated a bunch of characters from from the Archie comics, um, where they do things like they they update and they make characters like less characters are white, less characters are straight. Uh, they did the thing where they made, I think it's, is it, um, uh, Veronica, the one who's the evil rich one, uh, Mm. they made her family Latino. However, (laughs) her dad is a, uh, he's an evil, uh, he's like, not a drug runner, but he's like a mob boss. <laughs> yeah, he's like a mob kingpin. And it's like, oh, you accidentally fell directly into this extremely racist trope. Okay. Like It's 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 the difficult problem that like I uh, I I like I see where the the problem becomes where it's like you're trying to adapt a story. Yeah. So you kind of have to tell the story as it is cuz that's what fans want, but you also yeah. want to update it in a sense of like let, let's try and fix some of these inherent problems. And part yeah. of that's like, well, this is overwhelmingly white and yeah. straight usually. So it's like, okay, where where can we add new characters and where can we maybe shift characters to like, like it sort of is, it doesn't really matter uh, what their race is. And it's like trying to add in more diversity into it. And in the show, I actually think they do find some like good ways to do it. Like death is mm-hmm. typically portrayed as a black woman there. Uh, Lucian is portrayed as a black woman there. Uh, and then, but then doing it here, we'll just say it, and it's like content warning because it's worth discussing instead of dancing around it. Like, mm-hmm. Unity Kincaid is is raped by Desire, which is what creates which yeah. which creates mm-hmm. Rose. And it's like uh, the raping of a a black woman has really uh, dark connotations, given like history of slavery and, yeah, and a bunch of sure other things does. as well. Um, it's like, ooh, so you accidentally like, made this worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so it's like. I appreciate the added diversity, and I understand them being like, "Let's make Rose a black woman." That that seems to make sense. But then the implicate, like, I'm sure the idea was like, "Let's make Rose a black woman," and that seems on its face fine. But then because yeah. of that, you have to like go back and be like, "Well, then Unity Kid Kate has to be black." And then it's like, "Oh, oh, yeah, yeah." Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a it's a it's a difficult problem where it's like these tropes, these are problematic in the original text, and you're trying to update it to be more progressive, but also it sort of lends itself yeah. to progressive tropes at the same time. Wanna, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. always the problem. You, you want to, even even with the best intentions of giving minor uh, characters who are from minority or marginalized communities, you want to give them like bigger roles and more three-dimensional roles, but you also have to be careful that those roles don't have attached contexts from the original text that Mm-hmm. We're not there for the original white characters there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, interesting. Media is complicated. Media is complicated. <laughs> Adaptation is a difficult art form. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyways, moving on to issue eleven. Moving in. In this issue, we find Rose Walker having moved down to Florida in the United States of America where she moves into a boarding house full of a variety of colorful and uh, uh, somewhat maybe about 60% queer characters. Uh, 
in an effort to find her missing uh, brother Jed, who is we also see is being held essentially as a prisoner by a malevolent foster couple. Hmm. So that's pretty much what the story is going to be about: is her looking for her lost brother. Uh, can, Things are pretty can dire for him, but his only escape is in the magical realm of dreams. This issue has a, a bunch of tones going on in it. There's a there's <laughs> yes, it does. there's some different vibes. There's some contrast. It's a land of many contrasts. This issue. There's so many. There's so so much is happening at once. Can I just say, uh, Zelda and Chantel, who are like two of the people that in the house that Rose lives in, I, I adore them. They like yeah. wear like old gothic like wedding dress sort of things with like a veil, and they collect like the, they introduce themselves as saying, "We have the largest collection of stuffed spiders in private <laughs> hands on the eastern seaboard." And I'm like. Oh, yeah, I, you you wonderful folks. <laughs> Zelda and Chantal are the most explicitly lesbian characters in the entire run of Sandman. And this is a comic series that includes openly lesbian characters later on. Yep. But, like, I have met Zelda and Chantal, for sure. Yep. I was going to yep. say, I, I literally have, because every time I get to, like, mention this, like, I love it. So I had, I have in aunt who she lives in mexico currently aunt Jeannie, who when i was little uh i went over to my abuela abuela's house and i met her for the first time and she was like don't call me don't call me Jean. don't call me Jeannie. call me madame arachnid and i'm like okay and then i see her room later and she's literally got like a wall of tarantulas because that was her thing is she collected spiders like alive ones I've only met her twice in my life, and I wish I could meet her again because I want to know where her spider collection is and how she got it down to Mexico. <laughs> oh my god, that's wonderful. <laughs> Fucking legend. <laughs> Chantel and Zelda are real. Yeah. Hey, Madame Arachnid, uh, if you're listening, please uh, uh, write an email to the show. We would love that. She's, she's oh not, god, she's please. caring for spiders. Well, okay. Well, if you like spiders anyways, uh, feel free to hit us up on our Twitter, at SanJobPod. Yeah, send um, us fi- spider photos. Yeah. I we also, also get to meet uh, Hal, the the gay landlord, who is... Drag uh, queen, too. That, drag queen, too, yeah. I feel like if you would ask me my opinion about him in, like, maybe, like, 2012, it would have been like, well, he seems cool, but, you know, I'm not that big on drag queens. If you ask me now, I'm like, well, I love drag queens, but I'm not so big on landlords, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I do love that later on, like, um, uh, Rose is sort of typing a letter to her mother about, like, all the people that live in this house. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hell's pretty normal. And then he just comes in in his drag persona and just gives a monologue, does not, like ask rose to come into her room doesn't like doesn't like say anything to her just delivers a monologue and then leaves that man the gall of that if he's so clever what is he doing directing a drag show no talent man he's cut my tribute to sondheim and given an extra number to that slut mitzi i told him douglas i don't care who you're screwing but if broadway baby goes then so do i asshole and she's doing this in front of a very conspicuous Boys Don't Cry poster 
from I was uh, the Cure say album. The fucking Cure poster. <laughs> a gender <laughs> is happening. A gender is being performed. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, it's a it's a moment for sure. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Oh, and then we get to see uh, we get to see Matthew who comes into the show like way earlier. Yeah, we get to see Ratatouille, the rat who cooks. <laughs> oh my god! Because yeah, okay. Well, yeah, no, we talked about we talked about yeah. last episode with the hell stuff. How Matthew like played a role in that in the show, whereas here it's like, oh, now he's introduced. Now mm-hmm. he's here. If I remember played correctly, by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> Matthew is technically a DC character. I think he's supposed to be some sort of like incarnation of a character from Hellblazer. I want to say they got they I'll, I'll they gotta it. stop it with this. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta knock bring it him, off. I'm sure it's just some editor being oh. like, bring him, bring him, bring him in. Tie, tie it in there, Neil. And he's like, all right, fine. The super fans love the Easter eggs. Um, they I? all figure it out. Uh, yeah. Here is Matthew. We see Matthew great- was originally a man named John Cable. He first appeared in the comic Swamp Thing. During the course of the events in Swamp Thing, Matthew had a car accident and is tricked into being possessed by his wife's evil shape-shifting uncle, Anton Arcane! Hey, our favorite swampy villain man. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's his character. Oh. oh, you know what? Okay, I do wreck it. Now that you say that, now that I've read this, I'm like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, now I do remember that storyline. I think it's in uh, Alan Moore's run. Little tie to Swamp Thing. Mm. Yeah. The uh, the proto Vertigo series, yeah, exactly. It's a yeah, good I, good run of comics. And now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that was the the kid. like I've read I've read both of the that and this, and I actually never made that connection. Hmm. There you go. And now um, we know. We get to see Matthew show up and talk with Morph on this really cool two page spread of him standing on a beach and making a grody ass new nightmare with like. A bunch of people with melting faces and stuff. And I do love that. You'll notice that most of the pages in this uh, in this issue featuring Rose have these big white uh, gutters on them to kind of lock them into reality. Like, in my mind at least, especially in Western comics, using white panel borders really kind of anchors a scene in sort of a... Uh, a mundane sort of surrounding, but when it gets to dream, like we're we're fully in the realm of the senses. We're we're like mm-hmm. out on the shores of nighttime, which is real cool. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're like seeing backstage from behind the real world for a moment. We also get to meet Bar- Barbie and Ken. Barbie will become very important later, but for now, she's kind of just one half of a joke. Uh. Ken is not important at all. And uh, we get to meet Gilbert, my homie, my mensch, the dude, Gilbert. my favorite character in this arc. He's good. Got him played by, played by Stephen Fry in the show. Really? Oh, really? Holy shit, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, no, Stephen, he played, played by Stephen Fry. That makes sense. Which is like perfect casting, to be honest. Apparently based on uh, G.K. Chesterton? Or possibly a book by G.K. Chesterton. I know Neil has talked about this multiple times in interviews. Uh, I have not read the book that he's based on or something. I always thought he looked kind of like Teddy Roosevelt when I was younger. He's cool. He saves Rose from a bunch of muggers. And uh, they quickly become friends. Mm. Um, it's 
It's funny because every time I think about Stephen Fry, I used to think about how he said a very racist thing once, but he apologized and became better after that. But now I just associate him with the fucking tweet he made when uh, the British Queen died, and he's like, Oh dear, oh my, oh heavens, bless my soul, oh lord, heck. (laughs) I can't tell if he was being sarcastic or what. He was not. He was not at all. Hold on, I need to say some British shit about this really quick. <laughs> but I love that. Uh, that's great that he's in the show, though. I love it. That's cool. Also, I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about Jed, and I wanted to talk about Jed's dreams. I love that they did a weird little Nemo pastiche for Jed's dreams at a time when. Yes. A time when I will. I'll be real. Uh, comics history literacy was not as rock solid as it is now. And I'm willing mm-hmm. to bet that most readers of superhero comics were less familiar with the works of Windsor McKay than they mm-hmm. are now. Yeah, um, probably. They probably did not know what that was at all. Yeah, but it's it's great here. They they do a pretty good job at nailing the. Uh, the whole vibe of it, especially with the little numbered panels and shit and the very tall mm. panels that are kind of like they they move things around. But Little Nemo in Slumberland was created to be like a Sunday broadsheet comic. So there's a lot of playing with like verticality in it. And then they use mm. that to contrast with Jed's abject squalor of his real life. The first time we see him in real life, he's pissing in a corner of the basement that he sleeps in. It's gross. Um, he was bit by a rat at one point too. Bit by a rat. We learned. I f- I think it's this is- this issue that we learned that like the couple that like are his technically foster parents, but are like treating him like a prisoner. They only get like eight hundred dollars a month for him. Mm-hmm. That's how much his life is worth. That fucking sucks. As someone who's familiar with the way that system works here in America, it is incredible that they got eight hundred dollars. <laughs> Yeah. Hooray! Hooray! America! We love it. Yeah, he gets bit by he gets bit by a rat after um uh Rose almost gets stabbed by neo Nazis and then saved by uh saved by Gil uh, Gilbert. I always want to call him Gilbert. I'm sorry, Gilbert. (laughs) Gilbert. He's not French. I do like the idea of, like, nice older men, like, just beating up neo-Nazis in the street with a cane. I'm there for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Especially yeah. since he's, like, a bigger guy. And it's like, okay, so not every fat character is evil in this. Thank you. Uh, we have we have two fat people in this book. Uh, and one of them... Well, no, we have three, including Despair. We have three. Uh, one of them is conniving, but... Arguably not evil. One of them is very evil. But Gilbert, he's the good fat character. <laughs> we love you, Gilbert. Which I guess, I guess is something. Um, anything else about this issue? I did like the one page where uh, Matthew flying is kind of shown in sort of a zootrope sort of strip uh, at the bottom of the page. That's a that really lovely little stylistic touch. Also, the, yeah. the edges getting more ragged to show that he's essentially flying into the dreaming. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Two things that I'll draw attention to is we do get <laughs> another like shot through the eyes of Corinthian again here, which is sort of reiterating that. 
Um, and then the uh, second thing, I just love the final image of this comic where it's like dream is like getting ready to go he's pissed off about uh um, oh, yeah about uh what's what's the the two little demon men he's trying to find Burton he's Blonde. like oh yeah he found out that they sort of created their own dreaming that that's where jeb is in uh or jed or whatever his name is <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways the last image is like him in the doorway wearing this like fire cloak about it's like i'm gonna go wreck some shit and it's just like he's like i'm going out a night on the town like i'm gonna get yeah. my girlfriends and i'm just gonna wreck shit and i, and I <laughs> yeah. love that image he's got the winkle so pickers on he's not fucking around it's uh, yeah. it's a great <laughs> shot i also yeah. want to point out that like I love that with the bit with the Corinthian, the the second first person scene with him on the phone. And like, imagine this coming out like once a month and you only get glimpses of this dude. Like, that must have been so fucking tense. I love that it's, we know what's up, so we don't, we can't pull the same trick of taking the glasses off twice. But we do get a first person, like, eyeball eating like as in mm-hmm. you get to experience him putting the eyeballs in his little eye mouth and then you hear a little sound effect and it's not that graphic until you like imagine it happening and that's the fucking power of comics right there well because have, cool. have they shown his eyes yet oh no yeah, they showed no, it they exactly once in yeah. the previous issue like yeah. just as the it, weird 1890s shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes. you'd have to like You'd have to, like, make the connection. Yeah. Um, and that's I, don't think, I don't think it's until this issue yeah. that it says the Corinthian. Yeah. And again, yeah. If, you're, if you're reading this, maybe, like, this is the first issue you picked up or you missed that issue or something, you just have to kind of guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or you, even if you do have that, you have to linger with, like, okay, two months ago, I saw a dude with some fucked up eyes in the comic issue... And now, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but he's murdering people, and I think he's eating eyeballs or something. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, that's, Yo. like, I can only imagine seeing this as it comes out must have been nuts. Yeah, right, God. It's the problem of, like, like trade paperbacks are much more economical, but also they're kind of like the Netflix binges of reading serial books like this. Mm-hmm. Uh Stuff that's more narratively tense is deflated a little bit by being able to read it in one go. But yeah, wow. I would also say the show, comparing to the show too, as you just say, they they are very upfront with the Corinthians' eyes, which I was very sad about. They like show you that pretty early on and make it very explicit. I'm like, oh, you should have said that. You should have just left that implied until the end. That's true, but also would have saved on your would have saved on your but your VFX budget. Too. Well, it's probably not that expensive to do because it's just two little things in a guy's face. And that's the kind of visual that sells a TV show to people. So I get why they Fair did it. But true. I, I do think that if they were if they were braver, they wouldn't have shown it till the very end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there anything else about moving in that we wanted to talk about? I'm down to, to move along. All right. To our, our last issue. Talking about our last issue that we're going to be talking about today, number 12, Playing House, in which we get introduced to uh, the fake Sandman inside of uh, Jed's head, I believe is, yeah, Hector, as well as his uh, his wife, Hippolyta Hall, 
who is pregnant with a child, maybe. She's been pregnant for about two years now. It's kind of strange. They live inside of Jed's head inside of a dream dome, along with Brute and Glob 2, AWOL Nightmares. Dream arrives at the dream dome and uh, basically more or less kind of takes Jed's head apart as he tries to get in, uh, eventually uh, dispersing Hector, who it turns out was a ghost the whole time, um, destroying the house that Jed was being held prisoner in, and um, freeing him, as well as Hippolyta, with the caveat that that baby inside of her womb, that baby's his, and he's going to come to collect one day. (laughs) He's going to pull a rumpled stilt skin, is what he's doing. That's, That's such a, like... Fucking, you want somebody to hate you immediately, like, hey, by the way, your baby? That's my baby now. My baby. <laughs> you gotta give me I your love, baby. And I love how, like, important it is, eventually, without oh, yeah. Nero. Yeah, oh, it's really? Important. Not to ruin yeah. anything, but, uh, remember that baby. That baby will yes. come back later. <laughs> I'll remember the baby. Remember the baby. Um, this issue was also, uh, the reason it looks so different is because it's actually, uh, it's inked by somebody else, or uh, penciled by somebody else, uh, Chris Bacallo. And it gives it a, a lot more of kind of a uh, more, I guess, kind of traditional, older school, like late 70s, early 80s comic inking style. Uh, mm-hmm. I like it. Like, I think it works really interestingly, kind of, because he's like... It's the kind of guy who really would work more in, like, a superhero Mian, but, like, mm. he's drawing a bunch of really trippy, weird shit. Because how Jed's dreams look to the people who live inside them is very different from how Jed sees them. Um, yeah. It looks a lot flimsier, a lot more uh, kind of like a TV set. And yeah, complete with TVs. There's a lot of weird, trippy shit going on outside that's rendered in these, like scritchy scratchy little like crow quill inking that looks really cool like when dream first shows up he's nothing but like the mask and then this like weird splodge of ink with a bunch of stars glittering inside it's like oh yeah this guy's scary as shit when he wants to be mm-hmm. um it's really cool that's looked what? like the lava lamp look that we meet um uh what's her face in at one point, which is like going down the stairs, lava lamp stairs. Yeah, yeah, Hippolyta. Yes, yeah. What did y'all think of Hippolyta? Because uh, I think she might be a, a DC character. No, I think she was from a 70s Poss- comic, but don't quote me on that. Possibly. Um, uh, what did y'all think of Hippolyta? Yeah, she's, she's just, she's there. Yeah, she's just kind of around. I think she I think she just she feels more like a like a character that's there to serve a function of the plot, which is always like, "Yay, we're gonna get a a woman pregnant and and stick her around as as a, as a plot point." Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, you know, I, I don't have any strong strong feelings either way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say I do like that. Like, it's interesting that Hector is classical superhero looking well he's trying to be a classical superhero looking dude his costume doesn't fit that well he has this like really fakey fake attitude but he's acting really hard with every 
panel that he's in. He's always like strutting around or gesturing or pointing at stuff. He has a very extroverted outward sort of acting in here. Whereas Mm -hmm. with uh, Hippolyta, um, every panel that she's in, she's either looking dead ass at the camera or like dead ass 90 degrees from the camera. And she only ever is standing like straight up, except for like, I think there's like a couple moments where she kind of wavers a little bit, but she is, she is, it makes her seem almost comatose and she seems, she looks a lot more like the kind of a, literally a doll put inside of this fake house that they live in, um, Mm -hmm. in a way that kind of emphasizes her dissociation from a situation that Hector is so clearly, absolutely... 100% 100% committed to. Oh, yeah, that is a, um, I think that is a good was, contrast. That was a neat little piece of character acting that I thought was there. Yeah, that's pretty clever. Yeah. Um, I did notice, I think, are the majority of the panels in this, like, uh, they're, like, done with marker? Yeah. I think all the ones that are inside of the dream, uh, the dream dome, the dream realm, are kind of done yeah, with this, like, yeah, scritchy, okay, yeah. scratchy, big, thick marker line. Yeah, because the the bits with uh, Jed's foster, I always want to call him Jeb. I keep looking at the Jeb image. Uh, Jed's foster, Jeb. Uh, Jed's foster parents. They're all like the regular, the regular panel style. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a solid observation, ours. Yeah, I know a thing about yeah. comics. Also, I like that uh, Chris Piccolo draws Dream as kind of like a slightly more realistic version of Sam Keith's dream when he takes off the helmet. He's got that weird long face that he does in the early issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was neat to see that come back a little bit. I uh, like that. Yeah, no, I like that face. I like that face. Yeah. Love that face. We also get a little preview of uh, Rose checking into a hotel uh, for a for an overnight stay at a hotel that's hosting a serial convention. Uh, which we will see well, later. Actually, mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to ask uh, what? the per- the preceding page where it's um, uh, uh, Lyda talking about uh, her meeting Hector previously. Uh, I I don't know how to feel about them. Call it. <laughs> it's. I love when they say, like, ah, oh, we came out of the closet about the costume thing. <laughs> yeah. You, unless it's, like, X-Men, it's really hard to pull that kind of a parallel with, like... Yeah. It's, it's weird to say, like, yeah, we came out of the closet about really liking to do... To uh, run around shit. in tights, I guess. Which is just... Yeah. It's just a very, like, odd tone especially since like two pages later you get corinthian doing a gay murder again and you know it's gay because the guy has the earring (laughs) yeah the 80s were a time when superhero comics didn't know what to do with themselves well i was gonna say there's a lot of so much so much power and 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 you didn't know what to do with it (laughs) yeah like so far there's a lot of like it feels a lot of like like Neil Gaiman and like editors and co just being like, okay, we want to put like this current thing in the comic. And we're just kind of like, we're just going to kind of do it and not really, 
not really do anything past that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be like, yep, there, there it is. He he gets he doesn't get all the way there as we continue in the Sandman series, but he gets better, which I'll, yeah. I'll at least appreciate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to address mature themes. There are mature themes. <laughs> what do we say about them? Well, they're very mature. Thank you very much. They they are mature and they are themes. <laughs> These aren't them, your discuss daddy's them, or look DC at them, comics. But they are there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, checking into I... the the hotel and then and then a gay murder. Sorry, you were saying, yeah. Jesse. Oh, oh, I was gonna go. Well, we can we can we can get into this in a second if you want to. But I can also do like this. This issue probably has the biggest change between TV and comic that I think is really interesting. Really? Oh yeah, it's oh, big. Please, um, please explain. I'm so curious. So I'm going I'm going to spoil a little bit for you. But that's fine. I, no, that's uh, fine. We're, yeah. we're discussing. So yeah, I don't mind. So. Brute and Glob uh, do not actually exist in the show version, probably because mm-hmm. they were DC characters. What uh, they are replaced with is a character named Galt, who is uh, – I actually really love her look. So she's a, uh, a black woman, that, but she has, like, translucent skin. She kind of looks like a nebula in the form of, like, a woman. Um, it's a really cool look. Um, and her arc is actually very different. She was a nightmare, like Brute and Glob were, but what she – does is she kidnaps or she befriends jed in his dreams he was already sort of kidnapped himself and she becomes the superhero or his uh his like sidekick in his superhero uh like dreams and Mm -hmm. she sort of creates them for him like brute and glob do but her motivation is very different she actually wants to not be a nightmare anymore she wants to be a dream Mm-hmm. And oh. so uh, Morbius actually finds her and does sort of the same thing, like takes away the dream and like sends her and like punishes her to like a thousand years uh, in in like a whatever, like some void that Bob uh-huh. go into. But the show ch- changes that as well because like Dream goes through his whole arc at the series and he's like, I'm actually going to change a little bit. So he brings her out of that void and says, I was wrong. I'm going to make you a dream now and gives her wings. And she's able to uh, to be a dream at the oh, end of the series. Well, oh. I'm glad Which that is- he can learn enough to not condemn two black women to eternal hell at <laughs> yes. the end of the television series. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's that, which also has the side effect of um, now with um, uh, why am I blanking on her name? Hector and um, uh, the girl uh, Hippolyta. Uh, Hippolyta. Two H names. So Hector, yes. So Hector and Hippolyta are still in the uh, the show, mm-hmm. except for now because uh, Brute and Glob don't like need her as like part of the the story because they've changed Galt's character. Um, she is now sort of a separate thing that she's a character that is just friends with Rose Walker. And mm-hmm. by the fact that she is close to Rose Walker, who is a vortex, it causes her to dream of her dead husband, Hector, who's just a normal dude. He's not the superhero character. Uh, and they just like spend time in dream and they like get, he is dead, but she like gets to spend time with him and in like just being his company and enjoying like, Oh, I have my husband back. Mm-hmm. And she sort of wants to spend oh. time in dream all the time instead of being awake. And they sleep together in the dream, which is what causes her to become oh. pregnant. But then dream has to show up and say like, Hey, because you're with Rose and this happens at the end of the series. So well after he's dealt with Galt and stuff. So it's like a, 
entirely separate storyline. Okay. Um, that he sort of like disperses her husband and say, you should be glad that you got to spend time with him. Uh, but it has like nothing to do with the superhero storyline going on here. Cause Galt but, takes that, that superhero role in the, in the, in the show. But she's still got that dream nut and that's where the baby comes from. <laughs> yes. Oh, so yeah. So okay. it's interesting. 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 Okay. Interesting. Huh? Okay. So yeah, it's 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 one of those changes where I'm sure it's it was it probably started from the writer. It's just an interesting sort of way to like think about how they had to deal with it because like all right, we can't do brute and glob because uh, they're DC Comics characters, so we have to change it. Uh, well, what can we improve here? Oh, we'll make we'll like give this like them more of an arc than just like weird demon dudes, and so they create the character of Galt who like want is a nightmare that wants to be a dream, but then they're like oh. Uh, so she's going to be the superhero sort of sidekick to Jed, then that means that, um, cause like Jed becomes the superhero in this comic. So like mm. Jed is like doing the superhero stuff and she's like his sidekick and she's like getting to like live out a dream of being a dream. Um, mm-hmm. and then it's like, okay, because we have that storyline going on, we still need to do this baby thing. Cause that's very important, but it kind of needs to become its own sort of story separate from that. How do we justify that? Oh, it's because Rose is, is a vortex. So it's right. just, it's an interesting like tidal wave of changes that they had to deal with that I just find interesting. That's really curious too, because uh, in the recent sequel series, The Dreaming by uh, illustrious comics writer G. Willow Wilson, uh, there is a subplot about a nightmare that escapes the dreaming and wants to become a dream. He's like Mm. this like hot, young K-pop looking dude called Ruin. But whenever he gets stressed out, (laughs) he turns into a big pile of tentacles and teeth and shit. And he falls in love with with a hot boy who he's only seen in dreams. It's it's really good. G. Willow Wilson's run on the dreaming, really good. Waking hours, check it out. It's actually it's it's actually a really interesting addition to the canon. I'd love to cover it on the show once we get to the end of the actual. I bought Sandman it. Run. I own it. I haven't read it. It's yet, great. But I bought it. No, it's great. Legit. Legit. Um, um, googling him and the the guy he falls in love with is in a Catholic seminary. Oh, this is Nero bait. <laughs> it was made unlike the original series it was made by somebody who's who has probably talked to a few gay people and asked what they like um, okay sorry okay. anyway so anyways i just found i found that change from the i found that change between show and comic to be interesting because it's just it's just one of those snowball ones where it's like they can't use brute and glob and then it just yeah. sort of snowballs into all this other stuff that they and have we still got a we still got a baby for some reason so we gotta okay. have a baby the baby don't the baby forget the baby will be important later i can't tell I'm you so how scared. i can't tell you why that baby's gonna be crucial though i'm so scared i'm so scared <laughs> that is a pcb a plot crucial baby it's a chekhov's baby if you put a baby on the mantelpiece you better Better yeah, fire that off. baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounded sounded worse in my head, or worse. You know what? I'm gonna let it go. We're gonna move on. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <laughs> this issue ends with a very spooky shot of uh, Dream, kind of very similar shot to Doctor Destiny's shot in 24 Hours of him like controlling people, where he just says he tells Hippolyta that that baby is his and he will see Hippolyta again. And we get one last shot of her sitting on the, on the ground amidst this wreckage going, you take my child over my dead body. You spooky bastard over my <laughs> dead body. 
I love Literally. that you spooky bastard is an actual textual line in the comics. Not like you're editorializing. She says that. I love it. You spooky yeah, no. bastard. Because he's a spooky bastard to her. He's this big <laughs> creepy guy who blew out of her head. And he's like, I'm taking your baby. And I killed your I, I killed your husband who was already dead. But he's double dead now. Bye, bitch. And then we get one last teaser shot of uh, Jed getting into the Corinthian's car. Because he's hitchhiking. Remember, kids, don't hitchhike. It's just a bad idea. It's we're we're not. It's never been safe, but it's especially not safe now. It's it's not a good idea to hitchhike. Yeah, yeah. you don't know when a guy is gonna bite your fingers off it's with true. his eyeballs. With his eyeballs. What if he's What if he's got those hungry eyes, like the song "Hungry Eyes"? I've never heard of it. Hungry eyes. I forget who sings it. I think it's like Hall and Oates or something. Who cares? And is this just a sheer coincidence in the comic that he that like the, he gets oh. picked up by the Corinthian? Oh yeah, it's absolutely just an incredible amount of bad luck. Uh, yeah, because in the show, there's much more like the Corinthian sort of maneuvers yeah. it to happen. I think it's, it's kind of change. the way I kind of look at it is that because Rose. And by extension, kind of her whole family by proxy is a dream vortex, then dreams are kind of na- like errant dreams are kind of naturally drawn to them. That's why I think I think Rose, I think he says that he says that at one point. Yeah, yeah. That's that. why Rose happened to be in a house with Gilbert. That's why Bruton Glob happened to take up residence inside of Jed's head. And that's why the next car that drives down the road where Jed is happens to be the Corinthian because they're all kind of getting sucked into this one narrative here with the powers of story or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that I think it's entirely justified within the, the, the comic. And I think it's, it's justified too in the show. I think I just took again to like put in the comparison cap on uh, the, in the show, yeah. the, the Corinthian is a much more active uh, antagonist where he is, mm-hmm actively seeking to destroy slash get away from dreams so that he can just live his own little gay murder in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's a much more uh, actively malicious and antagonistic figure and, and mm-hmm. actively like seeks after and kidnaps, kidnaps Jed in the, uh, in the, in the show versus the comic or just, he happens to be there, which is justified again by the fact that like dreams are just sort of pulled into the vortex stuff. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for this. Uh, I I mean if they, I think it fit I actually like it I, I you know people I just like what what's the phrase coincidences that make your uh, plot more complicated are good coincidences that save your heroes are bad so yes. I, I think I, I think that that's totally fine to have like a terrible coincidence like this yeah mm-hmm. yeah I do find it interesting and this is like also relating to later but i find it interesting that rose is the vortex and not uh not jed uh because to me to me immediately i would think it would be it would be jed because he is dreaming all the time but Mm -hmm. uh i guess we don't know why the vortex thing happens anyway so like yeah Mr. Mr. Morph is like, I don't know why this happens. Just it just does. So it's kind of it, it will get explained. It's oh, kind of implied okay. that yeah, yeah. It's kind of implied that like Rose is sort of not to ruin too much about the next episode, but Rose is kind of an heir to the idea of being a dream vortex that Jed mm-hmm. isn't. Uh, maybe because she's like the firstborn of the family. Maybe because well, I guess she's he's female. Also, he's, 
Maybe because he's cut off from the dreaming, maybe? That could be it, too, because Brut and Glob did cut him off with all those traps yeah. and shit as part of their little gambit. Huh. Some, something to think about. Mm-hmm. Much to thunk about. Much to thunk about. It is not unproblematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh. But, you know, that's, that's the series. Not unproblematic. But still some cool parts. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Problematic, though, but great. <laughs> that's, that's why we're doing a show about it. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult series to just have one opinion on. Yeah, because um, you can have criticisms of media that you love. Huzzah! Yeah. You don't need to essentialize all the things into good or bad categories. To flip it, you can dislike a piece of media while still enjoying certain parts of it. Indeed. You can still learn things from media that you don't like. Um, oh, like how I dislike Undertale, but the music bops, yeah. That yeah. is very true. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that the Fingers in His Ass song was from Undertale until way later. Sure well, is. That's <laughs> amazing. I'll never hear it without thinking about Kanye West and Fingers in His Ass. I'm sorry, Undertale fans. I mean, Kanye um, West... Speaking of problematic. <laughs> yeah, talk about pro you want to talk about problematic people who have created amazing works of art. Kanye West. <laughs> I wanna, My I wanna beautiful add. dark twisted fantasy. Amazing album. Terrible man though. Hello, this is Iris from the Future. In the week and change since we recorded this episode, Kanye West has made a bunch of anti-Semitic comments online and is buying conservative social media platform Parlor proving that he is, in fact, an even more terrible person than we previously thought. In case it seems like we're being flippant about him on this episode, fuck that guy. Also, Twisted Fantasy just sort of falls apart in the back half, if we're being perfectly honest, and the best parts of it are its guest verses. Anyways, back to the show. You know what isn't my dark Twisted Fantasy? It's Morph's fucking hair in the next issue that we get to talk about next episode. Oh my god, I'm so excited. You mean one of my favorite issues in the entire comic? Yes. Next issue, next uh, episode, we're going to be covering Men of Good Fortune, which fucking rocks. We're going to be covering the Evil Guy Convention, which is a a lot. We're going to be talking about Evil Guy Convention a lot. And we're going to be getting to the grand finale of the Doll's House arc, which is ex- exciting. It's it's cool. It's interesting. It's all next. <laughs> it's that's coming up next. If uh, so, if you're listening to this at some point in the far, far future, you could probably just listen to it immediately. Uh, if you're listening now, uh, just wait two weeks. Uh, it'll be coming. Two just, weeks ish. You know, we had a bit, bit of a gap know. between the last episode and this one due to life stuff, but we're aiming for like a roughly twice a month update for this depending on when i can edit shit but we're doing it for fun we're doing it for fun we're not monetizing this this is this is for fun for you and for us unless somebody wants to give us like a billion dollars yeah if you want to give us a billion dollars i'm not we're not gonna say no to that unless old neil himself gets unless old at neil himself at tumblr.com gets on the phone and literally says Hello, uh, your show is the best podcast out of all the ones I've heard about the Sandman. Uh, I would like to give you seven billion dollars, please. Then yeah, sure, okay. That's not what he sounds like. 
No, he's he's he's, <laughs> he's got a weird cadence. He's got a great. Ca- I've been listening, so I'm listening to the Sandman Audible adaptations where he is <clears> the narrator there, and oh. he is he is just a really great reader voice. It's wonderful. I, I should give him more credit. He doesn't actually sound like that. It's but but I like to make fun like of British, British people. Though. That's like my daffy British accent number three by default. That's not anybody in particular. <laughs> to any British he people is... who are listening, I'm really sorry about this. Oh, I'll, I'm, I'm I'll not... guess on your Cormac McCarthy uh, podcast, and you can make fun of my American accent all you want. <laughs> please, please do that. Make fun of our accents. We deserve it. When are a bunch of British people going to do a Columbo podcast? Is what I want to know. <laughs> oh, I bet you that already exists. I'm I, sure. I've looked. I'm sure it does. Anyways, this has been Sand Job. Uh, thank yeah. you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We have a Twitter at Sand Job Pod where you can at mention us to let us know how you're doing about uh, with the book. Whether you I'm in like discovers, but like I take my my the the shit I say at the end of every discovers episode, and I turn it into Sandman. And sometimes shit doesn't fit. Uh, oh, see, I, reading, I took it as like you dirty bastard. What are you doing yeah. with that? Book? If you're reading along, <laughs> let us know what you think. Uh, let us know if you agree with us or disagree with us. We love hearing from listeners. Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to my friend Hi, who has been listening to this series without actually reading the comic. Hi, <laughs> read the comic already. It's not that hard. Read the comic, fucker. Yeah, I, I know you're listening. Ne- Next time we see Hi, we should just like <laughs> shove the comic in his face. Yeah. Oh no, no, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother him in real life about it. But I will bother him on the podcast <laughs> because I know he listens to each episode multiple times. Um, like I, a good listener, all like listeners a good, should like, be like all this. of you should be doing. Yeah. You should be doing <laughs> that so you can develop. You can develop intense parasocial relationships with all of us. Yeah, um, you'll get an extra lobe in your brain. It's true. That's how that works. Yeah, yeah. And we'll build a little dome in there. We'll live there. Yeah, and we'll then make morph our can't own get to us. For you. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. Um, anyways, I'm Iris J. You can find me online at irisj.net or at Iris J Comics on Twitter, Tumblr, not Tumblr anymore. Twitter, Mastodon, <laughs> and CoHost.org. Uh, I also have another podcast called Discovers, which you can find at anchor.fm slash discpod. That's the one about Terry Pratchett. We should have an episode going up soon about Interesting Times, which is a fucking awful book, which you shouldn't read. Um, <laughs> as for my one th- non-Sandman-related thing I'll recommend, uh, since you said you were going to recommend something else, I'm going to recommend this anime on Amazon Prime called Pet. Uh, it came out in 2020, so it was mostly forgotten about. But it's an adaptation of like a 2000s era manga, and it's by about, Ranjo Miyake. Thank you for the name of the author. Yep. Uh, about a a group of psychics who work for essentially the Chinese mafia, uh, crushing targets' minds. It's like psychic hitmen. And it gets in. It goes to some really wild, surreal, and emotionally intense places. It's also legitimately gay, which is very cool, and um, it's really beautifully also animated. Very, it's also very toxic. If you want to see two men in a toxic relationship, oh yeah. boy! If you want to see some <laughs> problematic gay characters, this is your problematic gay characters. It's, good. it's. I can't recommend it enough. It's amazing. I can't believe I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Yeah, like I would, I I would 
recommend the comic, but it hasn't had a complete uh, uh, English translation, official or otherwise, which is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, I guess I can go next. Yeah. yeah. I'm Nero. You can find me online on Twitter, Mastodon, co-host, generally at It's Nero or It's Nero Art. Uh, don't view my stuff if you're under 18. And if you're under 18, why are you even here? Uh, I draw gay pornography. <laughs> if you're under 18 and you're reading the Sandman series, you're doing the same thing I did. And you probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> uh, my non-Sandman related, uh, recommendation this time is going to be, and I actually, I had a slightly different recommendation, but I feel like this one is slightly more relevant. I'm going to recommend the Cautionary Fables and Fairy Tales anthology series, which is by a friend, uh, headed up by a friend of ours named Kel McDonald. Uh, one of the, the ones that made me think of this was they have one called The Girl Who Married a Skull and Other African Stories, which is, you know, if you want to read some actual African folk tales, there you go. <laughs> it's uh, really good. They've got, like, other ones that are, uh, like, uh, uh, Europe and, uh, Oceania and, uh, different, like, Southeast Asian countries. And, They're, uh... uh did they just wrap up the Kickstarter for their South American one? The crowdfund, yeah, crowdfund, for the yeah. South the Sorry. Lizard Prince one uh, just yeah. ended, and that'll that'll be going out soon. But they're they're pretty good. I like them. Good stuff. Good comics. A plus. Uh, Kel is awesome, and is they're actually designing um, my new header for my YouTube channel. So Ooh. and my business card. Yeehaw! Double header there, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Kel, is, Kel is great. Um, I I am Jesse Gender. You can find me on YouTube where I do most of my stuff. That's uh, do like video essay type things. Got a big video about uh, the shittiness of the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh coming up soon. That's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, the video boy. is fun. The man the man is less so. Um, <laughs> some would say the opposite of fun. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, I also have a secondary channel called Jesse Gender After Dark, where I do news, reviews, reactions. Another podcast called Jumpgate, where I discuss Babylon 5 with the wonderful Vera Wilde of the Council of Geeks channel. I am on Nebula. I have a patron that helps pay my bills, so you can support me there and get videos early and other things. Uh, and also, for my, like, recommendation... I am going to recommend a comic called, uh, I'm going to butcher this, the, the, the Autumnal, I think is how you say it. Um, autumnal? It's called Autumnal, that's what it was. The Autumnal by Daniel Krauss, who, uh, Daniel Krauss is the uh, writer of the uh, book version of The Shape of Water, the famous Guillermo del Toro movie. I was going to oh. say it's the adaptation of it, but they technically, they pulled the 2001 A Space Odyssey, they wrote them at the same time. Mm. Um <clears throat> So uh, he wrote the book version of The Shape of Water and then Troll Hunters as well, if you know that, that TV show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, book as well. Hmm. Um, so he wrote that, and this is a horror comic uh, that is really good. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but it's a very, like, autumn, uh, sub, like, suburban horror, autumn horror as well. Uh, hmm. So I'll leave it there. It's very, very good. Very, very creepy. All the creepy vibes, uh, and also very fallish. So if you're if you're feeling some autumn horror, I would recommend it. Oh Ooh. yeah, it takes place in New Hampshire. Oh yeah, baby, mm-hmm. I, I see the vibe. Ter- terrifying, terrifying. It's very good. the The art in it is gorgeous. The story is really good. Uh, and like I said, it's like it's like a weirdly cozy horror story because it's like it's all just takes place in the fall. 
So Ooh, cozy horror. Oh, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, make sure to tune in next time. Subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. And uh, until the next time we meet, pleasant dreams. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>